Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're joining us here today. All of you in Port Perry, Bowmanville, anywhere around the world, welcome to week four in our series on spiritual gifts. Finally, last week, if you were with us, we began to dive into the very specific gifts that God has given us. We were challenged and affirmed. Now, as I've shared since the beginning of this series, we've always broken down the spiritual gifts into three categories in this community, love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. And a guy named Bobby Clinton years ago was the one that sort of broke that down. And here's the definition he gave that are so helpful for all of us. Love gifts manifest the love of God in in practical ways. Power gifts demonstrate the power, presence, and reality of God. In other words, you know God is in the room when these gifts are used. And word gifts clarify the nature, the action, and the purposes of God. In other words, through, through these gifts, you'll know who God is and what he likes and what he doesn't. Now, one of the best ways to think about spiritual gifts is to think about ice cream. Believe me, it's true. So let me just walk through. I'm just going to list some chocolate, chocolate chip, cookie dough, cotton candy, almond fudge, mint chocolate chip, very berry, strawberry, old-fashioned butter pecan, cookies and cream, pralines and cream, strawberry cheesecake, vanilla, and of course, I need to add, because it's from God, tiger tail ice cream. Now, yeah, thank you. Some of you are like, what's tiger tail? Let me say it again. It's orange ice cream with black licorice. It's of God. And so, so. So turn to your neighbor really quickly. Tell them your favorite type of ice cream. Just quickly do it wherever you might be. Go, go, go. Quick, quick, quick. If, that's right. If you don't like ice cream, it's okay. We'll pray for your healing after service. All right. Everyone got it? Favorite ice cream. Now here's the point. Everything you just said is ice cream. It is the, it's all the same thing, but it has different flavors. And this is a great way to illustrate spiritual gifts. Some of us are just chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. We've been given one gift from the Spirit, and that's what we get. Some of us are two-for-one specials, like Tiger Tail, right? We've got two things happening. And you're like, those things should not mix, but they mix so well, which, by the way, should help us understand something else. You can have different categories of gifts in the same person. So you're saying, I could have love gifts. And, and word gifts together or power gifts. and lo- Yes, some of those things. Now, some of you are Ben and Jerry's. There's 14 things in you. You got coconut and nuts and all sorts of fruits and berries and all sorts of craziness. So all of us are like this. We all are the same, and yet we have different flavors or abilities. Now, why does this also matter? Let me work it out like this. The best ice cream shops on earth have high quality and also lots of variety. And this is where actually the church is become really in trouble in North America because A, we're not working on our quality, our character, 1 Corinthians 13 love, but also most churches don't actually give all 21 flavors that the Bible talks about. We only like a group of them. Well, why has this hurt us? Well, not only did we learn a few weeks ago it hurts us inside, but actually it hurts us outside also, and here's why. Because when you're not actually offering all that God has to the outside community, doors get closed. Let me work it out like this. There are three doors into the church through the gifts, love, word, and power. When love gifts are mentored and they're involved in community, not only will we be a loving, hospitable community, but people through the act of social justice will be loved into the church. But if you're not mentoring the love gifts, if you don't have that variety of ice cream, people can't come to the store to eat it. Well, it's the same thing with word gifts. If, if word gifts are not at the center of your church also, then you're going to have this problem. But when they are 
at the center, suddenly the church is intellectual, it's cognitive, there's a good rationality, you can defend and articulate the Christian faith, and people are thought into the kingdom. And then you've got all the fruit and nut people, the power people, I'm one of them, so I can say that, right? And then what happens? Well, when you open that door, there's healings and visions and deliverances and tongues, and people through the encounter of the living Holy Spirit through Jesus to the Father are, are by power brought into the kingdom. The point is this, the love door, the word door, and the power door all actually end up in the same place. With who? With Jesus. But you've got to have all three doors opening because not only is that how the body's designed internally, it's how we bring all sorts of different people who will actually want one flavor first before they get all the variety in between. Now, last week we talked about the love gifts. We talked through administration, mercy, helps, hospitality, giving. And today we're going to start dealing with the word gifts. We're only going to deal with three of them today. Teaching, exhortation, also called encouragement, and apostleship. Now, let me again say these things that are sort of critical as we get going. Can I have more than one gift? Yes, you can, but you might not. If you do have more than one spiritual gift, some might feel more primary or have more authority than others that may be secondary. Also, like I shared, you can have different gifts from different groups in one person. Now, here's another thing that's really important as we get going to really work this out. Okay, so there's a famous parable that Jesus talks about in the New Testament where there are 99 sheep and one is lost, and he goes after the one. And I always use this when I'm talking with pastors on this, on this topic, and no one likes it because it sounds very unchristian, but it's great. So here we go. If you had to choose between the 99 and the one, and you had to make a decision, which way would you go? Would you give your life for the one? Or would you give yourself to the 99? No, every person in the room that has mercy and shepherding and encouragement and helps is like, oh, I need to give my, my life to the one little lamb. I need to know its name and how it's doing. And, it's, and every leader's like, let it die. I need the 99. <laughs> now, your natural reaction, whether you went towards the 99 or the one, actually tells you probably where you are gifted and actually shows, begins to reveal to you where you should never serve. And this is incredibly important. See, if you are more person-centric than group-centric in your spiritual gifts, you should not actually be in a key leadership position within the church because you would sacrifice a whole movement or a whole small group or a whole ministry for that one person because this is what you're thinking. But if we make that decision, my friend Sarah over here will be terribly hurt by that decision and we can't do that. But you'd sacrifice 3,000 people because you're always thinking about Sarah over here. And so it's critical that you, if you're person-centric, are not in key leadership positions because you'll never get the movement forward. Yet the reverse is also true. If you are more group-centric, you should not serve on one-on-one -on -one settings long-term because you will destroy the people you're supposed to love in the middle. This is why Paul was very clear about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Okay, we're all in this together, but notice, verse 28, but God has placed in the church first of all apostles, then second prophets, then teachers. Paul starts with community gift-based, uh, community gifts first and not person-based gifts because he wants to talk about leadership, founding, and building. One is not more valuable than the other, but the role is different, and some have more person-centric sort of ministry, and some have group-centric. So with that in our backgrounds, let's begin to start dealing with the gift of teaching. Now, teaching is the spiritual gift that clarifies God's truth. It's Bible-centered. 
Paul talks about it not only in 1 Corinthians, he talks about it in Romans 12.7. If your spiritual gift is teaching, then teach. Ephesians 4.11. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. Now, teaching, like other community-based gifts, equips us to know God, understand God, obey God, be encouraged by God, be sustained personally and corporately by Him. Here's a great definition I found years ago. A person with the gift of teaching is one who has the ability to instruct, explain, and expose biblical truth in such a way to cause believers to understand that biblical truth. Now, that's a clear definition. Maybe it was helpful for you, but when I originally read it, it was missing punch and power I think it would be better if it read like this. Teaching is the supernatural ability to explain and apply the scriptures. See, many in this church can teach. Many of you are teachers. Actually, C4 is full of professional teachers at universities, primary schools, secondary schools. Many of you have a natural or learned ability to teach. You're great communicators. You give good knowledge and understanding, but that's not the spiritual gift of teaching. See, this gift not only communicates biblical truth, but it leads to obedience, supports the lordship of Jesus. It deals with the roots of worldview. It it deals with motive. It's a vehicle to bring spiritual life. See, spiritual life is not given when you teach math or, or when you hear an amazing politician. Like Barack Obama is an exceptional orator and speaker, but that's not the spiritual gift of teaching. Here's how I would work it out. Teaching is when the living word, Jesus, uses the written word, the Bible, via the Spirit to bring the will of God the Father into someone's life. That's not what happens to you when you're in a great university lecture on on physics. But when God's teaching gift is in the room, it is intellectual, it is powerful, it is life-changing, it is Bible-centered. It brings and establishes the rule and reign of God on earth in hearts and people and in society. The spiritual gift of teaching is Bible-centered. It clarifies God's truth. And here's maybe, uh, this will be helpful if you're taking notes for Connect Group. Teachers don't proclaim as much as they unpack. Does that make sense? That's why the very first description of the very first church, which is the blueprint, by the way, for every church on earth, starts with teaching because teaching is the rudder for the ship so you do not crash. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Oh, and then to fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Here's some uh, thoughts that I and other authors, have, some clues that might show you what, what uh, this gift looks like, and maybe you have it. An effective spiritual teacher not only has people verbally confirm to them all the time that they understand, understand the Bible better as a result of the teaching, but also teachers regularly see people change their life because of it. Those with the gift of teaching are enthusiastic learners. They seek to be mentored by others with the same gift. People with the gift of teaching uh, want to know biblical knowledge. Like all of us are supposed to have a hunger for God's word, yes. But someone with the gift of teaching knows they need to fill themselves more and more because they need to give out of what they already have. You know, and by the way, this is a critical one, you know you have the gift of teaching. Alarm bells go off when someone misuses or misunderstands or misapplies scripture. You're just like, "Mm," you want to throw something right at their head. Stop saying it. That verse does not mean that. If you have that moment where you're upset when the Bible's taught wrong, probably a gift of teaching. The gift of teaching results also in a setting where God's spirit is working. This is critical. In, In the audience, in a way that cannot be directly explained by the content of the teaching alone. In other words, the spiritual gift of teaching is alive in the room when people aren't just going, I intellectually understand the Bible more. You actually go, I know God is speaking to me right now and I need
need to think differently, change, or be moved in a different direction. If you've done church for a while, you know this. You know this. Have you ever sat under a pastor or a connect group leader and they're teaching and you're just like, oh God, I know this is your word, but can it end right now, please? Answer my prayer. You see, you don't want to admit it, but you've all said it, um, right? Where, where in another situation, you've been, been in an environment where someone's teaching, you're like, I've read that verse a hundred times, I never understood that. Or every time that person speaks, it's like God is talking to me directly. Are they actually looking at me? See, that's the difference between discipline and gift. We also all can open the Bible and try to explain it, but when the spiritual gift is in the room, the Spirit of God is profoundly teaching. Now, this is one of God's 21 amazing gifts, and we're all going to be accountable for how we use our gifts on Judgment Day. But this gift is even more scary than the other, the other ones. Because this is the only gift where there's a direct warning in Scripture. Jesus' half-brother James, when he wrote what we now call the book of James, said these words in James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my, my fellow bro- uh, believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. In other words, on Judgment Day, when we all face Jesus as Christians... It's not about salvation. There is going to be a separate conversation that Jesus has just with those with the gift of teaching. Why? Because the gift of teaching is the rudder of the ship. The gift of teaching is what forms worldview. The gift of teaching is what stops false teaching and presents the truth. Now, this is one of my stronger spiritual gifts, and it led me to my life first. And I love my life first because it brought home for me what we've talked about in the last three weeks, where character and gifting have to be intertwined all the time. It's 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Oh, persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Isn't it amazing that Paul, the great theologian, the guy who wrote so much, he still talks, he starts with life and then doctrine. Character matters. Now, before leaving this gift, I just want to jump ahead just a little bit and talk about the difference between prophecy and teaching. If you've done church for a while, especially in a more conservative setting, you were taught your whole life that teaching and prophecy, they're just the same thing in the New Testament, but they're not. Now, we're going to spend a whole Sunday unpacking this and how we try using this here, but I'm really thankful for a guy named Wayne Grudem, who's a theologian who simply articulated it like this. If a message, a sermon or a message, is a result of conscious reflection on the Bible, containing interpretation of the text, an application to life, then in New Testament terms, that is called teaching. But if a message is reported of something that God brings suddenly to your mind and then it's shared, that is prophecy. Those two things are fundamentally different, and we'll unpack that later. So as I've described this, is this you? Do you think you have the gift of teaching? Do you actually teach for a living, but you've realized right now you don't have the spiritual gift of teaching? Okay, let's go to the next one. I actually think tons of people here at C4 have this gift. It's the gift of exhortation or encouragement. The strongest reference comes from Romans 12, uh, 8. If if your spiritual gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. Now, unlike the gift of teaching that clarifies truth, this gift focuses on applying biblical truth to help others live out their faith in a practical way. They are the spiritual cheerleaders among us with a specific purpose. Here's a great comprehensive definition of this gift. The gift of exhortation is the capacity to urge people to action in terms of applying biblical truths to encourage people generally with biblical truths, to comfort people through the application of truth into their needs. In other words, believers with this gift 
Call others' attention to the Bible or the, the themes of the Bible and urge them to keep walking in their faith. They come along us when we're discouraged and defeated, and they always root it back in God's Word. Now, there are basically two major expressions of this gift, and they're exercised in similar but subtly different ways. And it's really important we catch this today because many of you have this gift, and you actually don't think it's a spiritual gift. So the first way this gift comes alive is through correction. It's to rebuke gently. You don't hit sheep, you hug them, but you still tell them where to go. And then there is the gift of encouragement where you're more like a cheerleader. So I said years ago in 2008, exhortation is like mercy, the mercy gift with, with a kick. Now, my dad has one of the strongest versions of this spiritual gift I have ever seen. Time and time again, my father will end up in multiple environments with people he does know and does not know from multiple backgrounds, Christians and non-Christians, and someone will literally just sit down with my father, look him in the the eyes and they'll just begin to unload everything. And unlike me, he is drawn supernaturally to spend personal time with people. He listens intently to every single person's story. He listens with an intensity I will never understand because it's obviously not a gift at all for me. And at the end of every conversation, what he will do is he will direct you back to what you should do next based on God's truth. He doesn't quote passage in scripture. He just gives biblical wisdom. Now, when you walk away from a meeting with my dad, this is what happens. And you, this, if you're relating to this, this should start dawning with you. You feel incredibly listened to. At the same time, you feel really encouraged. But as you're walking away from your dad, you suddenly do this. You go, I think I'm bleeding. Oh my goodness, he slapped me while he was hugging me. What, what happened? See, exhorters hug you and they comfort you. And then they say, don't do that anymore. And then they hug you again and send you on your way. So, so exhorters are people who regularly tell you where to go in Jesus' name in a really nice way. Now, that's what an exhorter does. Now, the other version of this gift is they're the hardcore cheerleaders. They're the encouragers. They write cards and texts and emails. They let you know all the time, I'm praying for you. There's a woman in our church named Chris Wilson, and her spiritual gift of encouragement is, is off the charts. And she gets great spiritual joy from this. She continually writes me notes and letters of encouragement. Years ago, she used to carry stickers with her, and I was always afraid because she'd just walk up and slap a sticker on you. And I didn't know what was going on. Then I realized it was encouragement. So I, I got the golden star. So awesome. And she'd do this. Uh, the, the woman who leads our connect group, I've been in one for over 10 years. Her name is Sarah. She regularly texts me, I'm praying for you, John. I'm praying for Joe and the kids. How are you today? How are things at church? Hey, listen, I know you, you were preaching outside of C4. I was praying for you. Are, are you doing okay? And regularly, continuously, that she, she is the one that is encouraging me and I realized it was a gift. It's hilarious. After I preached our first service here, I went to my office and Chris Wilson, who I mentioned, had already left a note of encouragement on my desk and she had no clue that this was going to be talked about today. Now, you might observe someone with this cheerleading gift and you might dismiss them. And I've seen this in church for years. You go something like this. Those people are shallow and they're trite. There is no way that you can be that encouraging all the time and it be real. So actually, I think you're faking it. Now, if you're that person who's a little jaded, number one, repent. Uh, number two, realize that encouragement is a discipline for you. And number three, stop dismissing the cheerleaders among us. We need them desperately. What appears like a random act of kindness on their part is actually a spirit-targeted word that makes a difference in our church, in our world. Never under 
underestimate the people with the spiritual gift of encouragement. They are faithful. They mean what they say every single time. Never dismiss them as fake or they're doing it of duty or habit or trying to call attention to themselves. It is genuine, spirit-empowered care. I love one guy named Leslie Flynn, uh, Flynn who wrote years ago, the gift of exhortation involves the supernatural ability to come alongside to help, to strengthen the weak, to reassure the wavering, to buttress the buffeted, to steady the faltering, to console the troubled, and encourage the halting. Now, what's amazing about this gift is this word encourage or this idea is talked about or is connected to the Holy Spirit in Jesus himself. When Jesus was going to leave, he promised the Holy Spirit would come. And it says in John 14, 16, and I'm going to ask my father and he will send you another counselor. That's another comforter to be with you. And even Jesus himself, 1 John 2, 1, if anyone does sin, all of us, we have an advocate, a stand-in, a comforter with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now here again are some examples from Robert Clinton and others that might show you that you have this spiritual gift. Depending on the spiritual condition of their own souls, people generally react strongly, sometimes for or against you when you encourage them. After observing, listening to people, you frequently find yourself giving advice to them that demonstrates an unusual understanding of their situation and is biblically rooted. People uh, regularly confine their inner thoughts to you because they sense you not only have an empathetic ear, but you comfort them in the process and then you speak again to them. People like being around you because you cheer them up by attitude, demeanor, and word. One of the roles you play when working with others is promoting urgency to get something done and you're willing to communicate that urgency to those who have the energy or attention that are struggling at the same time. Now, this is, uh, these next ones are really key. In various settings, you love to share truth from a passage of the Bible that means a lot to you. You're not teaching it. You're sharing how it impacted you. When you teach about, or in, sorry, when you speak about the scriptures or life, you're not satisfied. This is the biggest one. With some superficial acceptance of truth. You want people to work out truth in their life. See, a teacher wants you to understand who God is and what he wants. An encourager, an exhorter, wants you to do it in your life. You seek opportunities to share stories about God's involvement in your life because you know God can use it to encourage others. You're constantly talking about what God has done in your life because you know it will encourage others. But it's your words. Notice this. It's your words that bring comfort, not just your presence or your actions. That's the difference between mercy and encouragement. Mercy is presence and practical deeds in Jesus' name. Exhortation and encouragement are words that bring life and mercy in Jesus' name. Now, this is something that we need to keep wrestling down that's true with every single spiritual gift. There is a dark side to all of them. Encouragers and exhorters often feel lonely. When I hang out with them and I talk to them about this, it's 100% all the time. Number one, they can't use the gift on themselves. And so they're giving encouragement and exhortation all the time, but they themselves aren't getting it. Also, much of the time, people, especially with a strong exhortation gift, people don't want to be around them anymore because you keep telling people where to go kindly in Jesus' name. And every once in a while, people are like, I just don't want to hear that anymore. So I'm actually, I'm out. So exhorters can feel perpetually lonely because actually of a gift orientation, not a, not a personality issue. Let me also add that this gift can be used alongside the teaching gift. I've seen it more than once where someone who is a teacher and has a spiritual gift of teacher also has the gift of encouragement and this sort of like this interplay. Well, while they're teaching, you feel profoundly exhorted and encouraged, but it's rooted in teaching. But overall, this tends to be a more person-to-person -person or smaller group gift. Now, one of the greatest examples of this is Barnabas. 
Acts 4.36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, not only did Barnabas have the gift of giving, which we saw last week, but he had this incredible strong gift of encouragement. Think about his life. He's the one that when Paul became a follower of Jesus, went and met him, mentored him and encouraged him and introduced him to the leaders that Paul was trying to murder. Barnabas was the first to accept non-Jews into the church. He was the one in Antioch where they were first called Christians. And again, as Leslie Finn once pointed out, do we realize that if Barnabas had not used his gift of encouragement, we'd be missing half of the New Testament. Through his advocacy for John Mark, he brought forward someone who would go on to write one of the four Gospels, the first one, the book of Mark. Through his encouragement and mentorship of Paul, he encouraged the writer of 13 New Testament books. Now, here's something remarkable. Barnabas never wrote a book that found its way into the Bible. But he encouraged two men that wrote 14 books over half of the New Testament. I love this little phrase. How much we owe to this self-effacing exhorter. In other words, can you see the power of encouragement and exhortation? Encouragement and exhortation don't take center stage. But God's profound influence ripples through lives and connect groups and ministries and leaders right into eternity because the Barnabases among us are always there encouraging. And if this is you and you have this spiritual gift, listen to the scriptures again. If your spiritual gift is encouragement, then give encouragement. In other words, don't stop doing what God has asked you to do. Now, the last gift today is top and a little difficult. So we need to think. You're like, we're not thinking yet? No, here we go. Thinking cap's on. It's the gift of apostleship. Now, it's hard because apostleship is an office in the New Testament and a gift in the New Testament, and they're not the same. An office is like elder or like deacon, and this was a unique thing that Jesus did with a small group of people. And here's the thing, capital A apostles don't exist anymore. The original apostles were the 12 that followed Jesus, later plus Paul. And what makes them different? They had the same authority and function as Old Testament prophets. They could write Scripture. They had been with Jesus since the beginning. They had a personal call from Jesus. They were witnesses to Jesus' physical resurrection, and they laid down the foundation of the church, not only recording Jesus' life and ministry in the Gospels, but faithfully following the Holy Spirit to write the New Testament. Now, we see this in Acts 1. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and they all joined together consistently in prayer with the women, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. And so capital A apostles were like Old Testament prophets. They heard the word of the Lord, and they wrote. That capital A thing doesn't exist anymore. But there are many in the New Testament that are called apostles that don't have this criteria. Timothy, Silas, Barnabas, Andronicus, and Junia are some of the names. Now, what's interesting is they're both men and women, and they also come from different ethnic backgrounds. So the office is finished, but the gift is very much alive. And it's worth remembering that the Greek term apostle just means messenger or envoy or someone who's sent to represent another. Now, this spiritual gift, by the way, takes two very different forms. 
The first expression of this gift is the God-given ability to create new ministries, church planting, cross-cultural missions, starting a parachurch organization. If you know any church planters, and I do, they are sent, you, you talk to them, they're like, well, I go and plant a church, and about 100 people, I'm out, and I go plant another one, and another one, and it's a God-given thing. Others are called to leave their culture and go into another culture, adapt into that culture, and share the good news there. They are sent ones. Now, this is critical. The calling is not about being a restless soul. It's never based on being an experienced junkie. It's not wanting to be like Anthony Bourdain where like to travel the world and eat cool food. It's never about tourism. It's always about mission and planting and the gospel showing up in an environment where it is not found. Now, as I was preparing this sermon this week, a really close friend of mine sent me an email. He lives in southern Sudan in a war zone with his little baby kids. And he wrote this email. And when I got it, I was so thankful for it because it brings everything I've just said home. He said these words in his email to myself and a few others. One of our favorite evening activities these days is to string a large screen across our mud brick kitchen. We brave the bugs while we watch the video together. Very thankful to God for that little portable projector and the miracle called solar power. These days, Tom and Jerry, the old cartoon, is a big hit with our family, except the problem is Jerry, the mouse, has jumped off the screen into our real life. There are mice everywhere. From the table next to our beds while sleeping to the various boxes in our kitchen, yes, we even find them in our flushing toilets these days. Let's just say Jerry is everywhere. Now, since November, we've begun to keep track of mice sightings versus snake sightings in our house. Hooray. Both have been leading. The mice have recently surged ahead with the current story, role of bishop without the title. Here's the best summary I found. In the broader sense, an apostle is a sent or commissioned one and therefore is not affixed to a particular location or church. Such an apostle operates in a trans-local manner, but does not operate independently. He or she is church-based. They represent a particular church, but they minister in many fields beyond. Such apostles are always essential in the life of a church that realizes its call to reach out beyond itself in the mission of the gospel. Now, I would add from personal observation that this one form of the gift generates an unnatural respect and authority to speak to other churches or Christian organizations, even though you have no title or no role in those organizations. It never comes when you interview these people for manipulation or pride or selling yourself. You suddenly, when you're in an environment, are welcomed. And as you speak with great authority, people just listen to you. And you end up saying, how did I get here? Why are all these leaders that are more significant than me even listening to me? Why would this group that's not even part of my group give me the right to speak or to lead? Now, let me give you two modern examples. Uh, whether you fully agree with these churches or not, they're just good. Brian Houston from Hillsong is a phenomenal example of this. He, he has this gift in, in, in vast ways. Another one is Nikki Gumbel. If you've ever taken the Alpha course, you know him. Nikki Gumbel, who I've spent some time with in some smaller group settings, who runs Holy Trinity Brompton, he has this gift. So, so he's a humble guy. He, he, he is so humble. But when I sit in a room with him, and he's an Anglican priest. But it doesn't matter, Baptist, uh, Brethren, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, everyone just sort of leans in when he speaks and listens because there's not just character there or ability there. There's an authority there. There's a bishop-like, he wouldn't like me saying that, but a bishop-like authority to him. Could this be you? Teaching, exhortation, and apostleship. 
These are some of the word-oriented gifts of the Spirit. Now, I've tried to triangulate this group to show you the different extremes of the word gifts. Teaching informs and trains and prepares and disciples and equips and, and gives us the Scriptures. Exhortation and encouragement come alongside and encourage, but also confronts us when we're a little off. And apostleship is a pure leadership gift. It's a, an expansion gift. It pushes the boundaries, overcoming obstacles as the church t- continues to do its God-given Great Commission work. So here's, here's where we're going to end with this today. And I did this last week. We're going to do this every week until the series is done. When we're done this, this series, uh, not this series, this, this service today, uh, we're going to have uh, pastors and elders up front. And if you have the gift of teaching or encouragement or exhortation or apostleship, or you think you have them, we're going to invite you to come forward. And what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to pray over you and we're going to ask A, for God's character to be more important than your gift. And we're going to pray that God affirms these gifts. Now, you might say, well, I'd really like that gift. Well, you can come forward and ask. But like I said, week one and two, uh, you can ask, but God might say no. So get ready for that. But there's some other things I need to work out. A lot of you weren't here last week. And we worked through the love gifts, right? Hospitality, helps, serving, mercy, right? Giving. And if you weren't here uh, at any of our sites... Because you're on the, but you listen to the podcast and you have those gifts. We want you also to come forward today so we can, we can pray over you. We also had a lot of people uh, not come forward uh, last week because they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. I know, I've got helps. I know my gift. I'm great. No, no, you're missing the point. This is not a Jesus and you moment. It's a Jesus and us moment. And so even if you know your gifts and like, oh, yeah, I've got that gift, great. We still want you to come forward because we as the church want to affirm what God is doing among us. We want to bless you and pray over you. And so if you've got teaching or apostleship, right, or you've got encouragement or those other gifts, we want you to come, uh, come forward. Last note. Last week, as I had the privilege of praying over a lot of people, hundreds of people came for prayer at all our sites last week. A lot of people came forward and asked God for his blessing or his empowerment and the gifts, which was great. But what started appearing also, which was really significant, was this. A lot of people started coming forward, and as we were praying for them, they began to realize they had stopped using their gift or they had been hurt. And so out of their hurt, they had shrunk back. And so in four cases with me, I was praying with people with mercy, and I don't have mercy, so that was interesting, but that was good. And as we were praying, I was told by the Holy Spirit at least three times with people with mercy, and I said to them, oh, do you think it's wrong to say no? And they looked at me shocked, and I said, oh, you think because you have mercy that you have to say yes all the time and you can have no boundaries in your life. I said, that's not what the Scriptures teach. And then I said, buy the book Boundaries. That will help later. But here's my point. They had, by using their gift, actually ended up hurting themselves or hurting others. And there was a lot of moments of healing that started taking place. So when you come forward... The Holy Spirit might also reveal not only what your gift is or how it's been used, but also where you might need to be healed or what you need to rededicate or what you need to work out. Does that make sense? So I'm just going to ask, could you stand uh, with me? And we're just going to pray over this moment. Uh, And it's going to be, again, a profound moment because God has spoken to all sorts of you today. Uh, So Lord, uh, hear our prayer. Number one, thank you. Thank you that actually we're not alone. Thank you that we have the Holy Spirit in this church. Thank you that actually all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Thank you that the gifts are all found in this church. We're we're really thankful. And here's our prayer. Number one, we pray again for 1 Corinthians 13 love in this church. 
We pray for agape love, the character of Jesus, more than anything else. And then we pray this. Lord, we pray for every teacher in our church, every encourager and exhorter, and we pray for everyone who has that gift of apostleship that they'd know it's truly from you. And we pray you'd begin to use them more, give them strength, empower them in a new way, or bring back power that used to be there. We also pray over all the other gifts too that you continue to make it clear. And so Lord, we just invite you into this moment. We pray this would be a holy moment, a, a sweet moment, a genuine moment. And here's our real prayer. Father and Son, would you continue to pour out the Holy Spirit like this because of what you're about to ask us to do as a church? May we have great power because you're going to ask us to reach out to thousands of more people. So come, Holy Spirit, affirm the gifts you have sovereignly decided to give. May anything that appears from the Spirit that is not of the Spirit, in Jesus' name, be rebuked and removed. Lord, would you also teach us what is natural and acquired so we can walk in guaranteed places of power. Come, Holy Spirit, and continue to speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.